Scripture today uh, comes from Luke chapter 16. Uh, It's verses 19 through 31. That can be found on page 1,492 in the Pew Bibles. Before we read Scripture, would you pray with me? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, as we enter your word, go before us. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Luke chapter 16, beginning at verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury Every day at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone from the dead, if someone rises from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this might be one of the more difficult parables of Jesus. Um, It's the lectionary text for today. So churches all around the world are hearing uh, this text preached. Um, the, The rich man and Lazarus bring up a lot of things for people. Heaven and hell, rich and poor. It brings to our our minds the idea of vengeance and justice and a God who makes things right in the end. This parable parable brings these things to the front of our minds and it can feel good because it, it feels like it gives us some answers to some troubling or some tricky topics. Like, is hell real and what is it like? Is heaven real and what is it like? We surmise that we could, 
prob we should probably be giving more uh, of our wealth away unless we want to be in hell someday. And some have taken it so far as to say that we should aim for the kind of life that Lazarus lived in order to go to heaven, to, to become poor, to give everything away, to be on the streets, to, um, to live in squalor. I don't think any of that is right. Most of the things that, that we arrive at uh, at first glance might not quite be right. So I invite you to pause. The answers that we seem to get from this parable might be less correct than we first imagined because the parable isn't really about any of those things. It's, Jesus isn't trying to paint a picture of heaven and hell for us. Jesus is actually teaching about how we let obstacles get in the way of faith. Jesus is telling the disciples that the idols of time and money can try to dismiss the need for faith. To some people then, faith can seem like a silly thing when it's stacked against our other interests and investments. That's what happened to the rich man in the parable. His interests and investments outgrew his faith. And he abandoned regular worship. We know this because the text says that he had feasts every day. Not just that he ate every day, but that he had like Thanksgiving-style feasts every day. Turkey, gravy, mashed potatoes, cranberry sauce, everything. Everything. This means... Uh, that it happened on the Sabbath as well, preventing him and his household staff from going to worship. This meant the, the cooks and the stewards and the grocery getters, none of them had the day off to go to worship. They, they were also made to, to, uh, to be here for the feast. His interests and investments were so great as to mean that he wore purple every day. And this was something, as I read commentaries, uh, people who wore purple, uh, you had to get a special uh, permission from the Roman government to be able to wear purple, uh, even on certain days of the week. So the fact that he wore purple every day meant that he was, he was in deep with the Romans. And the words fine linen are the very same words that are used for the most, the most expensive kind of underwear in Egypt. Uh, the text tells us that he was so important uh, that even his fruit of the looms were important. <laughs> the picture that Jesus is painting for his disciples in this parable is the kind of person that has let the, the largeness or the excess of his interests blind them to faith and to the community around him, them. This man is a man who lost sight of everything but himself. Jesus is telling this story not only for the benefit of the disciples, but also for the Pharisees that are overhearing it. Prior to this parable, Jesus was simultaneously teaching the disciples and responding to the Pharisees' complaints. He did this by way of parable as well. Jesus shared about the lost sheep and the lost coin and the prodigal son. And the Pharisees did not like the way that Jesus was hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. And Luke tells us, uh, just before this section, in the kind of the prelude to this, that the Pharisees are lovers of money. 
all these people in front of Jesus are prone to having the largeness or the excess of their interests blind them to faith and the community around them, the Pharisees and the disciples included. That interest might be money, or it might be the law. It might be other, uh, it might be their expectations for a savior and what that savior looks like. The excess of their other interests is what Jesus is addressing here with his audience because their interests can take over. Whether those interests are good or bad, righteous or or unrighteous, well-intentioned or ill-intentioned, they can take over and blind us to absolutely everything. Money isn't necessarily a bad thing, and and there are some really incredible people who have a lot of wealth. And I'm not here to make a bad guy out of any wealthy people today. That might be a temptation with today's text, to feel vindictive toward people who have a lot of money, but that's not the only thing that Jesus is addressing. Jesus isn't just addressing money. Remember, Jesus is talking to the disciples as well. I'm guessing that the disciples had a vision for what the kingdom looked like what a savior looked like, what the coming revolution looked like. They had political victories and military victories in mind. I'm sure they did. They had high hopes for the end of Roman rule and to be out from under the persecution of this Roman rule. That kind of vision can loom large for them, large enough to block their sight of faith or even their community around them, large enough to even block Jesus, who stands right in front of them. This was a danger, even though it may have been well-intentioned. So it's not just money that can blind. Jesus is trying to draw attention to any excess of other interests and how they blind people to the kingdom. So Jesus is sharing this parable about the rich man and Lazarus. He's giving us an example of a person who has interests that block out faith and faith community and another example of a person who didn't. The man named Lazarus, and it's interesting here to, to consider this, uh, Lazarus is, is named. Interestingly, the only named person in any one of Jesus' parables It's a distinct honor because it's usually the most important person in the story who is named. And we would expect, the the disciples and the Pharisees would expect that the rich man would have been the the named one and and, uh, Lazarus would not. But Lazarus is named and Lazarus is a beggar. His friends bring him to the gate of the rich man every day and presumably bring him back to where he sleeps at night And scholars describe him as the Job of the New Testament. He's described a a certain humble and virtuous character because he doesn't communicate any vindictiveness when, in the parable, the the rich man tries to order him around. I don't know if you noticed that, but he said, send Lazarus, send Lazarus. He's the quiet man in a homeless situation in the story. He doesn't have much by way of assets, and he... Uh, and he doesn't have much influence or standing. There isn't a lot to get in the way for Lazarus, and, and faith might be the only thing that he does have. 
I want to tell you a story. While I was studying at Calvin Seminary, I had an opportunity to do a cross-cultural internship at Degage Ministries downtown. I had only really known life in the countryside of Iowa, so an internship downtown it was going to be cross-cultural for me. Uh, Degage is a ministry to folks in homeless situations, and it was a lively place. Uh, in my interactions with people, I learned that they're filled with stories and enthusiasm and community means a lot in this place. The patrons at Degage may not have a house or money, but they sure do have community. To give you an example, there was a man who used his last $2 to buy a meal for the person behind him who had no money. Literally his last $2 And this happened pretty regularly. I saw this happen on on more than one occasion where I saw people using the last of what they had to help someone else in their community. Likewise, I witnessed a woman finding incredible meaning in teaching someone else American Sign Language. She was hard of hearing herself, and she would stop people passing her table to tell them that she was teaching this person ASL. She was their teacher. The community was so important, and they experienced the tangibility of being responsible for others. The patrons at Degage may have had other vices that blinded them to faith, but for many of them, the idols of money and power and status weren't the things that blinded them. And it was eye-opening for me to see the ways that, although I wasn't particularly rich myself, I was aiming myself at some of those idols of money and power and status in ways that were blinding me to the ways of the kingdom. A few years later, I participated in a homeless simulation in Portland, Oregon. Our group was made to live a full 24 hours as people in homeless situations. We were given a prepaid cell phone with a few minutes on it, and we were allowed to take three things with us besides the clothes on our back. And we visited, uh, as a group of, of three or four or five of us, uh, we visited parks and shelters. We made friends with other local people in homeless situations. We made signs out of cardboard and sat on the sidewalk. And I'll tell you what, I experienced humanity differently that day. When you sit on a sidewalk with a cardboard sign, you know what it is to be ignored. No one makes eye contact. People will glance over you, around you, past you, pretending not to see you, although it's obvious that they do see you because they step out of your way. It's such a lonely feeling and really quite dehumanizing. And at the same time, the community of unhoused people is incredible. The humanity and care we felt from guys who called themselves grizzly and rat was amazing. They taught us how to write our cardboard signs to get the most attention and sympathy. They showed us where to find food and other resources. And they knew what it was like to share the responsibility of each other in community. I'm telling you the the stories from my own life not to shame you or or, uh, about how you interact with people in homeless situations, nor am I encouraging you to seek out a simulation like this. I'm not sure how I feel about 
uh, this kind of simulation, although I learned a lot in this. Experience was a great teacher in this situation. I'm telling you these stories to show you that when my excess of interest toward money was held in the spotlight in these situations, I could see it for what it was. I could see the beauty of community all around, and I experienced comfort in a new way. Again, I'm not here to elevate the poor above the rich or to vilify the rich while making the poor seem saintly. The picture that Jesus paints in his parable describes how interests like riches can grow and blind people to faith and the faith community. The rich man in the parable tries to to handle things. He tries to handle life because he's so convinced that living is the instrument to salvation. He tries to handle things even in death as well, demanding things of Abraham and trying to direct Lazarus to do things for him because Lazarus belongs to a lower class. Send Lazarus to dip his finger. Send Lazarus to my brothers. Jesus emphasizes the fact that even in death, the rich man is convinced that he can fix the situation with a little name dropping. Father Abraham, I belong to you, Abraham. Father Abraham. He believes that name dropping can can help fix the situation. He tries to manufacture his own comfort. And it doesn't work. The rich man pleads with Abraham to send someone to change the behavior of his brother's Send someone from the dead, he says. But Abraham basically says, it doesn't seem to be making any difference for you, rich man. You're still treating Lazarus the exact same. And you are, in fact, seeing someone from the dead. If you remain unconvinced, if your behavior remains unchanged, it's not going to matter for your brothers either. Jesus may have been alluding to his own death and resurrection in this parable. And there are people today who don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. They say it's a made-up story, or they try to explain it away somehow. And there are also people who have tried very hard uh, to prove the resurrection of Jesus, to prove it empirically with facts, with things. The idea is that if they can prove that Jesus did actually rise again, people would have no option but to believe. But that's not the case. The main obstacle to faith is not a lack of proof, a lack of empirical evidence in front of them. The main obstacle to faith is an excess of other interests and investments, things that build brick walls in front of us so that we can't even see faith or the community right on the other side. Love of money can do that. It perverts one's vision so that even the greatest of miracles can be explained away. But the good news is that we can hear these words of Jesus and start to recognize where the excess of our interests might be blinding us. The good news is that our richness or poorness doesn't have to define us in the ways that we might fear. The good news is that Jesus' death and resurrection is sturdy enough for people like the rich man and Lazarus alike. 
the resurrection is sturdy enough for you and me. The resurrection points us toward a community of people who share responsibility for each other, helping us to see our idols and the excess of other interests. The resurrection points us to the hope that we have in Jesus that lasts beyond any earthly riches or power or status. So I'm inviting you through the parable of Jesus today to explore what might be the excess of your interests. What's grown so large that it, that it can tend to block out faith, that it can tend to block out the community around you? This is no condemnation, friends. Rather, it's an invitation to taste and see the goodness of the resurrection. Taste and see at the table. Set down your idols, your excess of interests, and the visions of how you think it's all supposed to be. Set, it down, set them down and come to the table. Be fed by Jesus and receive the comfort of the triune God. Friends, believe the good news. Amen. Would you pray with me? Triune God, we come to you to confess that sometimes the excess of our interests take over. It crowds out faith, crowds out the community that's right in front of us. We've let some of those things become too large in our life. As we come now to the table that you have set for us, we pray that we can be fed by you, we can set down those, those things that block the way, and we can come to you and be fed. We can remember your death and your resurrection and the hope that we can have because of it. We pray all of this through Jesus. Amen.